Hello, and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series, one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I am Ruthie Cowper-Samoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about We'll Always Have Paris. This episode was written by Deborah Dean Davis and Hannah Louise Shearer and directed by Robert Becker. It first aired on April 30th, 1988. Today's check-in topic is, what is your relationship with regret? I like how you, rate, how you worded that. Relationship. Yeah. With regret. Yeah. yeah I've been thinking more about how, to, how I relate to a lot of things mm-hmm. in life and regret is, is one of them. So how, how do you relate to regret, Matthew? I find in general, I find it very difficult to make decisions okay. in general. Like I never, in anticipation of having to make choices like around career or relationships or like living spaces, I'm I'm always in dread. And I'm, I'm thinking, I think forward to another Star Trek episode we'll get to that also has to do with time mm. in the second or third season. But Picard has this, this speech that he does about how life is about making choices. That's mm. what that's what life is. That our lives are about making decisions. That's what being alive means. We get to make choice. And I I find I need to make more peace with decision making, but with being okay with uncertainty because I think that when I'm not, that leads to maybe unnecessary regret. Mm. You know, like I always feel like, oh, I never made the right choice because I don't know all the facts, but rarely does ever anyone have complete information yeah when they make any kind of decision so maybe some regret is unwarranted i don't know yeah did you ever read the book the bell jar by sylvia plath no no i read it uh in grade 11 and there's a part in it where um esther the main character who's also the narrator is kind of talking i think she's the narrator that's not important but anyway she's thinking about like choices that she has in her uh, in her life and she pictures herself sitting under a fig tree and all of the different figs are potential paths that she can choose she but as soon as she chooses one the rest of them are going to disappear and so she right. just she just kind of sees herself sitting under this fig tree watching all of these figs like ripen and then fall off the tree and start to rot because she can't pick one because she's worried she's going to cut off all the rest of them. Wow, that is that is a powerful metaphor. I relate to that in a lot of ways because I do sometimes feel like I'm kind of, I, I worry myself into inaction. Yes. So I think that that my, similar to you, my relationship with regret kind of comes from like worrying about potential regrets. Yeah, I, I relate to that. Like, I, sure. I don't actually, I was thinking about this. I don't actually have a lot of real regrets. I don't have a lot of things that I look back on. And I like there are things that I think, hmm, I wonder what my life would have been like if I had made this one significant choice in a different direction. But I I don't usually look back on my life and think like, oh, I wish I hadn't done this one thing or I wish I had done this thing differently or like I kind of, so maybe that's a thing I can learn from and think like, well, I haven't re- had huge regrets so far. 
So so maybe it's okay. Maybe I can make choices. Well, as you know, I, I've been working on a film for a while called Chasing Atlantis. Yes. And I mean, the film started as a, as a road trip to go see a last, the last shuttle launch. And we thought it was going to be more around the history and technology of the space shuttle. Right. But it ended up being a look back on career regrets is, is what it ended up being. It was like a 10-year journey now of my life oh, of trying to of looking back on not being an astronaut, on not being a scientist and not being more directly connected to the space program. And then is there any chance of revisiting elements of that later in life? And so this is in, in many ways that that film, which is, you know, we're still in post-production, but um, has been a, um, a, an, an exploration of, of regrets in many ways. Interesting. And on some of those figs that have rotted on the ground. Yeah, career is an interesting one because they're... I mean, people change careers all the time, but there is a lot of work that goes into doing that or that mm. can go into doing that. And there, like sometimes I, I wonder like, oh, what if I did this thing instead of what I'm doing now? And then I think about the amount of time it would take me. Like maybe I'd have to go back to school or maybe I'd have to invest a lot of money into something and sometimes I just get exhausted thinking about that which is, I mean sometimes it is the right decision the right thing to do but it's a lot a lot of time and a lot of work I think there's maybe in a way there's some false dichotomy here because even in that metaphor which I think is still a powerful one like when you choose figs it also creates more figs it doesn't mean that they all die yeah and in that metaphor I should actually clarify that's that's sort of positioned as like a, a problem that this character is having, but it's not like the the problem is that she is make she has this difficulty making decisions because she sees it that way. It's not meant to be like the truth. I sense that. And yeah, it was like that's that's kind of like the the <laughs> negative way of looking at it. Yeah. Recently, we released a trailer for for Chasing Atlantis, and I was going through some of the interviews that we had that we had done, and we we got onto career path with a lot of the people that we were that were the interviewees mm. in the films. Yes, we we talked to them about space and about technology, but we also got into this discussion around career path. And I remember one of those conversations was with, with Bill Nye when we had the opportunity to interview him. Oh, nice. And one of the things that he said is he's like, we, we're afraid that we're going to miss the big break, that one choice or that one career move that's going to be your big break. He's like, but there is no such thing as big breaks. There's just breaks. And you, you make one and you try to make it work and then you go and you make the next choice and the next decision. And it's the amalgamation of all those decisions that finally get you to right. a place and and i think my brain is because i'm particularly like a very anxious person yeah. that i tend to put like make or break emphasis on almost every choice i make and it makes me crazy <laughs> and it's not healthy that's that's my poor relationship with decision making yeah. which ultimately becomes a poor relationship with with regret yeah yeah that's interesting <laughs> is it yeah <laughs> Are you sh are you sure? <laughs> uh, I just try to make it so we have like a good transition into the episode. Yeah, oh, yeah, I know. I yeah. Whew. Should we get into this this episode? Yeah, let's do it. And Picard's okay, so, regrets. Yeah, man. Okay, so in this episode, the Enterprise starts to experience strange repeats in time, leading them to a scientist who is married to Picard's ex. Wow. 
so funny thing I was going to mention. Yeah. Uh, the most the most recent episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. Oh, I haven't started watching the new one. Oh, oh it's so good this season. Yeah. Uh, but the most recent episode is called We'll Always Have Tom Paris. Oh, nice. And it features Tom Paris, of course. I love that show because of how much it loves other Treks. Yeah, and there's like there is so many Easter eggs in every episode that it's almost impossible to catch them all in one viewing. So good. Like I always have to go to the internet afterwards and be like, "What did I miss?" Oh yeah, yeah, I love it. We're on the way to shore leave. Yeah. It's time for a break. We've been dealing with a lot of hard stuff. We've lost a crew member. We need to, we need a break. We need a break, and Picard has decided to get a head start on his break, which I feel like <laughs> is like not the greatest form for a captain. To be like, I'm going to start my vacation ahead of all of you guys by fencing. Is this his exercise? Maybe he's just working out? He fully said, I've decided to get a head start in his log. All right. <laughs> but no, I do. I, I mean, you know, he, he gets back to work when he needs to. I'm just harping yes. a little bit. But uh, yeah, so the lieutenant like gets a, what do you call a, a point in fencing? A touch? A touch? Is it a touch? Is that what yeah. it is? And then, I think so. And then Picard... They're like they they go again, and Picard like grabs his arm and swings him around, and gets a touch. <laughs> and the, yeah, I don't. Is that allowed? <laughs> the lieutenant was like, "Oh, what was that technique?" And he's like, "The technique of a desperate man." But then it happens again. Yeah. So this there's like a like a rewind, and they have like exactly the same dialogue over again. And the lieutenant that that Picard is fencing with is like, "What was that?" Yeah. <laughs> so like, what's going on? Yeah. So. Picard calls up to the bridge and he's like, hey, did anything happen up there? And Riker reports that coming in from all over the ship, yeah. there's been this repeated moment in time. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting to me, and I'll get into more of this later, but I, the thing that I find like the most fascinating about this... So, okay, actually, I should preface this by saying I don't feel strongly about time travel stories and like I don't have a theory of time travel. We're talking about time travel. We're in the realm of science fiction. Like, I don't, I'm not going to worry about whether this is realistic time travel or not. I'm just, I'm I'll, I'm just curious about how it happens in a story. And so what I find interesting about this one is that they're always conscious of it. They're not like doing it and someone else notices it and, and the people involved are unaware. Like they are aware that they have repeated themselves. Yeah, in this particular episode. Yeah. But we'll have other episodes where they're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So It doesn't <laughs> seem to be a hard and fast No, 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 rule. not at all. But I just, that's, it's something I find interesting in this episode that they are always, and I'll point it out later, a, a part where I was like, oh, that's so interesting from like a storytelling perspective. Yeah, and I, I think that's what, in, that's how it gets chosen is how does it impact the storytelling? Because, you know, in real life, I guess we don't really know how time travel would actually affect things. Yeah. So they have to like, they have to decide whether or not the characters are going to be aware of it or or not. Right. And so in this in this case, I they have to be. It would seem. otherwise so the story are. wouldn't really work. No, they would just keep fencing. Yeah. Or whatever, just... and then go on surely. Yeah, <laughs> it would be fine, and they'd never yeah. find Paul Mannheim, and the poor guy would be. Well, we'll find out. He'd be all messed up. Yeah. So we get a distress signal from uh, a nearby planet, and it's recorded by a man named Paul Mannheim. And when when the name is mentioned. Picard noticeably reacts yeah. to it. And Troy reacts to Picard reacting. The ship gets coordinates that Mannheim says in the distress call. Picard says that man or explains to the rest of the crew that Mannheim disappeared like 15 years ago to work on experiments related to nonlinear time. And so it makes sense then that that this is they're probably experiencing the effects of whatever it is that he is doing. Yeah. So so he's like, all right, let's go. And he he gets them to go at warp eight. So he is not 
He's it's not, not messing around. Yeah, not dawdling. That's right. So then we go into the intro. And then we come back from the intro. And Picard and Data together are, again, discussing Paul Mannheim. And so... It's interesting, like, Data says he was widely respected and considered a visionary, but then also says that no one really accepted any of his ideas. He had a lot of thoughts about how time connects to gravity, mm-hmm. but that they, these were not well accepted. So it's a, so he was respected, but but people thought he was also full of it. I don't know, a little, a little unclear. That sounds more like a pat on the head. Yeah. You're like, yes, yes, you're very smart. Did Data use the word theories here properly? No. Okay. Okay. No. Because there's, there's no, they weren't <laughs> tested, right? No. Yeah. So that's, there's actually, this is, we mentioned this already, so I won't belabor this point <laughs> again, but it's like, again, that's not what a theory is. Theories are like the highest level of scientific knowledge. Theories have been tested and proved, right? Theories. Yeah, exactly. So people, don't, the general, again, these terms all get used interchangeably, but theory in science is even higher than, than law. So none of his hypotheses were ever accepted is what data perhaps meant. Yeah, or his results or his ideas. you know his findings. Yeah, ideas. Cuz it's not it's not clear that these were results or findings that these were just ideas that he had or like things he thought might be true and yeah. and now he's gone to test them but he hasn't been heard from in 15 yeah. years. So then Picard says that uh that Mannheim taught at the university when Picard was in Paris. And Picard knew of him, but they never met. And he gets a really significantly thoughtful look on his face. And we should mention uh, he's still in his fencing clothes because he, you know, rushed to the bridge. So now right. he's he's like, okay, I, I need to go change. But there's definitely a, an element of I need to be alone in this. I need to go change. Yeah. And Troy gets up and says, you know, that he that she wants to speak to Picard in private. But he says, no, 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 it's not necessary. And she was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> then in the middle of the bridge, but again, we don't know if this is an aside on the bridge or not. <laughs> the acoustics of the bridge are very convenient to the plot. <laughs> she noticed that Picard reacted with intense emotion when, when Mannheim's name was mentioned. And that, you know, and she says, unresolved strong emotion can affect judgment. And yeah. I, I get a sense from here that he's he's a bit defensive about this. He's Or yeah. sensitive, maybe at least to it. Yeah, and she also mentions that that Picard, ha- she knows that Picard has trouble confronting issues and that he suppresses them instead. And he he's like, yeah, okay. But then he kind of softens and he's like, okay, well, what do you suggest? And so she says, well, maybe you should use the time before they arrive to process some of these feelings and, and work through them. And he kind of sits on that for a bit and then he decides to leave the bridge and, and just tells Troy that he'll he'll reach out to her if he needs her. Yeah. And so then we get a, a nice shot of him like, thoughtfully cleaning his do you call it a sword in fencing i didn't do any googling on fencing foil a foil so that is i think yeah. that's right yeah so he's cleaning yeah. his foil and i guess then he gets changed and he's in his uniform he goes into the turbo lift and he's going to go to the bridge but then he he changes his mind he goes to the holodeck instead and he sets the scene to cafe des artistes in paris 22 years ago a nice spring day yeah, the holodeck knows what it looks like. The holodeck knows exactly what it looks like. <laughs> it is a beautiful, like, Parisian futuristic cafe. There's someone playing, like, a, an accordion that's made out of tubes. It's a, what a tourist in their brain might imagine with, like, stereotypical Paris would look like, but with future accents to it. Yeah. It's hilarious. I think I, I didn't actually <laughs> notice this myself. I was reading something that was, like, the Eiffel Tower 
is in the background of like multiple shots that would not be possible. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they built more than one since then. Maybe. They're like five could Eiffel be, Towers could now. Be. Yeah. Uh, basically, because I know that Starfleet headquarters or the Federation Council headquarters or whatever is based in Paris. And whenever you go there, like basically in television, if you're in Paris, there's always going to be the Eiffel Tower in the background. Yeah. Just so you know that you're in Paris. I thought the Federation headquarters were in um, San Francisco. Uh, Starfleet Academy oh, okay. uh, is in San Francisco. And Starfleet, I think you're right. Starfleet Command is in San Francisco. San Francisco. But, but the but the Federation okay. like UN style building right, or right, whatever, right. I think is in Paris. Okay. Yeah, we gotta have the Eiffel Tower in the background. Otherwise, how would people know? Well, from the background music, how would you that's know? how they would know from that futuristic yeah, yeah, yeah. accordion. <laughs> futuristic accordion. So Picard sits down you know, at another table beside him. There are two friends. There's Fan and Ga- Fran and Gabrielle. Is it Fran who says that uh, that she's waiting for somebody? I think I think Fran is the one who doesn't want to wait any longer. Okay, and Gabrielle's so Gabrielle. like, no, he'll show up. I'm sure he will after last night. If you don't mind, I'd just like to to spend a little bit of time on the wardrobe here because it's pretty amazing. (laughs) Uh, So Gabrielle wears this like, it's like a matching two-piece skirt and top covers like her breasts and nothing else. And it has one shoulder kind of goes, it's like a tube with like a kind of off the shoulder sleeve ruffly thing and one of them is like kind of on the shoulder and the other one is like really off the shoulder I feel like it would have been hard to keep this one on and then wait that's Gabrielle who wears that and then Fran is wearing I don't know if it's like a skirt or a or a dress the top of it is entirely backless again in a way that looks like it would be difficult to hold on yeah it's quite <laughs> a lot of tape uh in use there for <laughs> double the wardrobe. sided tape yeah. yeah for sure for sure the yeah <laughs> the wardrobe on, on TNG. Sometimes you just got to point it out. There's actually, there was a great blog that I used to read for a while. It's called Make It So. Oh, nice. But Good SEW, pun. Good right? Pun, so yeah. Make It So. They they would do wardrobe analysis on each of the episodes. That was hilarious. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if they're still doing them, but if you're out there listening to us, go check out Make It So because it's, it it's, so. it's hilarious. That is funny. Fran is not super supportive of Gabrielle in the situation. It's just like, I'm not going to watch you humiliate yourself like this anymore or yeah. whatever. It just like leaves. And then Gabrielle is there by herself and Picard decides, or she kind of notices Picard noticing her and is like, do we know each other? You know what? I thought at first that this was, oh, because right before this happened, Picard mentions to Edouard, the like host, that 20 years ago he had a rendezvous, so a date, and that he didn't show up. So I was like, wait a minute, does the holodeck know about that and is that what they're showing because that's kind of creepy yeah the coincidence is amazing that it happens to be the same (laughs) scenario but i think it's trying to draw a parallel to what happened yeah uh with picard so long ago it it is before he left for it is i just i just i mean afterwards we realized that picard's date had a different name but i was just like Mm -hmm. whoa that's weird do they have like a camera Uh, i mean we live in a surveillance state so what can you do it's the camera of plot the camera of plot the acoustics of plot, the speed of plot, the camera of plot. <laughs> it's important. And the t- the rules of time travel and plot. Yes, but, yes, that yeah. too. So yeah, Picard chats a little bit with Gabrielle and he kind of, he I think he's trying to offer comfort, but it is really comfort for himself. He says that perhaps the person she's waiting for is afraid of being connected or being rooted or maybe he doesn't know what he wants. And then he gets really thoughtful again and 
realizes that he's not actually happy with what he's doing right now. He says, enough of this self-indulgence and leaves the holodeck. And then poor Gabrielle has now been abandoned by two people yeah. on the same day. I was like, I, <laughs> and I was stood thinking about up. <laughs> and stood up twice. I was like, that poor yeah. holodeck yeah. woman. She's been, oh, well, well, she's been stood up by this mystery person. And then her friend has left her. And then the random stranger who was talking to her has <laughs> oh, yeah, left three her. three times. Ah, uh, what a yeah. terrible day yeah, in Paris that day. Yeah, a rough day for Gabrielle. Uh, oh, well. That poor, poor holodeck character. Sorry, Gabrielle. I was, I was like, I was thinking about that when uh, when he stands up to leave, and I was like, oh, she's already having a terrible day. Like, <laughs> at least be kind. I guess he doesn't care. He's like, no. Yeah, I'm... he could at least end the program, but he doesn't. He just leaves Yeah, it. he lets her walk, watch him walk <laughs> out and be digitally sad about yeah. it. It's it's awful. Yeah. Anyways. Anyway, he goes back to the bridge, and Riker tells him that a freighter and a farming colony have both experienced similar time distortion and the freighter called it a hiccup. And then Data's like, well, that's not entirely accurate and starts explaining that a hiccup is like a, I can't remember exactly how he words it, but basically it's when you're like a spasmic intake of breath. Yeah, with your glottis closed. And and then Picard, like, he's about to say what it's more like and Picard cuts him off. And I'm really curious as to what that was going to be. Because I feel like the implication is that it was something kind of inappropriate so probably something like bathroom related no because ever i don't isn't everything similar to that just with other stuff in your body like if you're not hiccuping then you're you know i mean are, aren't all those functions pretty similar with each other i don't know i don't know i just find it weird and i'm i'm curious it's supposed to be a humorous <laughs> humorous is. comic relief moment it is but it's like episode. it's like they just shy away from making the bathroom joke toilet humor can data can data hiccup Oh, that's an interesting question. Or, or like burp. I guess he could if he wanted to. He's fully functional and programmed in multiple <laughs> techniques. So why not? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's what he references when he says that, but maybe. You never you know. know. You don't know. We, they cut uh, away so. before we saw that scene. So we get coordinates, and when they arrive at those coordinates, there's nothing there. But Worf receives new coordinates that take them to a remote binary star system. There's a main star... Uh, and a B-class giant with a companion star is a pulsar. Can you explain what those are? Sure. So in astronomy, there was a classification of star systems that was created by a woman named Annie Jump Cannon. So the letters are O, B, A, F, G, K, and M. And there are several, like, I don't know what the word is for it. When you remember something with like a like a song. Oh, like a, a, like num- a rhyme. Pneumatic uh, device. Yeah, so there are several. Um, some of them are not appropriate, so they've been they've been updated. Right, right. <laughs> and I don't know what any of the new ones are. Anyways, um, so our sun is class G. Okay. Which is like a yellow dwarf star. Okay. B's and O's are the largest. We're talking like blue giants. So a B star is very large. Um, and the pulsar will be a collapsed star. So that's a star that has gone supernova, and that is the companion, and likely uh, it's feeding off of it, which... There's actually a painting of somewhere in this episode. Oh. So in this episode, in the background behind somebody, I think it's where they're either in one of the meeting rooms or they're in like the medical bay or something. But there is actually a B star that's being fed on oh. by a pulsar somewhere. So it's like that visual image is somewhere actually in the show on the wall. I don't know if that was intentional or not. Probably. So, but wait, tell me, say more about what, about the being fed on. You have a uh, stars can companion stars, binary stars can feed on each other so they can draw material 
from one star onto the other star. The giant draws from the pulsar? The pulsar would draw from oh, the giant because okay. the, the pulsar is a much is a more compact object. Right, right, Basically, right. it'll draw material off of the B star as it's orbiting around. So the smaller one will be in orbit around the bigger one, but it'll be drawing material off the big one as it orbits around. Right, and so because the pulsar, so it's a collapsed star, so it's it's smaller... Yeah, it's like it won't have the most mass. So like it'll still be orbiting the larger star. Yeah. But it's like um, but as it's orbiting, because the the larger star has less dense material out toward the outside, that material will get pulled off. The less dense material will get pulled off by the really dense pulsar and material can accumulate on top of it. And when that happens, it will send out like jets of energy into right. space and stuff like that. And so Mannheim was doing experiments or was curious about how time related to gravity so this is this is adding up for some reason they needed this arrangement of, yeah we probably got more into the physics of astronomy there than we needed to but um <laughs> for whatever reason they need this arrangement of of objects yeah. to do the experiments. yeah well it, yeah. it makes sense with the with the the gravity we've got yeah. a lot of gravity happening right now we need the the intense gravity of the pulse yeah so they go to these new coordinates there's a, a planetoid and it, it looks like a lumpy rock. It doesn't look like uh, the most habitable space. No. But they find there's a force field on it, which they can't penetrate. And then they open hailing frequencies. And Picard introduces himself. He's about to say Captain Picard, and then he stops himself. And he introduces himself as the captain of the USS Enterprise. And Data and Geordi kind of give each other meaningful looks. Yeah, and the person on the planet responds and, and says it's just two of them left and that the other person is having convulsions. She's really scared. Picard tells her to turn off the force field and then beam. Once the force field is down, he's very excited about that. He's like, beam them directly to sickbay. So in sickbay, so we've got Paul Mannheim and we're about to find out uh, Janice. Easier to use their names. So, so Paul Mannheim is on the floor like convulsing and Crusher gets him onto the bio bed. Gives him a hypo spray. And again, I just need to point out the wardrobe. So Janice is wearing like this. I, don't, I can't tell if it's a one piece, a two piece. It's got like baggy pants that are tucked into boots. But the top, there's no fabric on the sides of her torso. It's like a shiny 80s future space onesie. Yes. Thing. It's very, I, I thought it was cool. It is cool, but it's like the whole body is covered except her ribs right yeah <laughs> and Mannheim just Paul Mannheim just wears like a boring beige not very interesting is that intentional is that trying to show because obviously there, there's something up here are they trying to say she's exciting and and cool and she's married to this boring I scientist man I wish there was something like that I feel like it's more the women's wardrobe is always <laughs> a little more like interesting. <laughs> At least in the earlier yeah, seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot more of this like kind of TOS era yeah. dressing of women There's in the show. Also, I mean, okay, we'll get into this, but I at first I was watching it and I was like, wow, she's a lot younger than these two men. And then I looked them all up and she's not. She's like a couple years younger than than the two than uh, Patrick Stewart and the person who plays uh Paul Mannheim. She's but and then I was like, oh, it's not that she's younger; it's that women are made to look younger. So like they both have gray hair. She's got blonde hair and like bright red 80s, lipstick, like glam hair. Yeah, 
And they light they light her hair from the back. It's all yeah. like that glowy yeah. 80s glam. It's, I love it. It's cool. She is played by uh, Michelle Phillips, who was one of the singers in the band The Mamas and the Papas. No way. Yeah. I was like looking. Whoa. She sang the song um, dedicated to the one I love. I was just watching that oh, before yeah. the she. I mean, she was. I mean, the Mamas and the Papas are amazing. But she. Yeah. She was amazing as a young a young singer in the 60s. Holy moly. Janice sees Picard and recognizes him, and, and it's clear that they have a history with each other. And she's like, I knew it would be you who came charging to my rescue. Yeah. And <laughs> Picard introduces her as Janice Mannheim to Data and Riker. Yeah. And Janice explains that the rest of the crew was working in a second lab, and they were all killed in a terrible accident a couple of weeks ago but she was like in a protected area so so she's okay but she doesn't really know what happened i get the impression she's not really involved in the work that he does i think that it becomes clearer as yeah. the episode goes on so well, yeah. and it's not really clear what she does but like they talk about they talk about the work she didn't know that things were kind of getting out of hand and she starts to suspect that maybe paul had an idea that this was happening but basically his theory was that time was not immutable or no more immutable than space is and that there are infinite dimensions but what holds us in this dimension is the constancy of time and so Paul wanted to change time to open a window to other dimensions and none of that makes any sense but no, I was it like <laughs> okay yada yada other dimensions yeah, okay cool. yeah because we we do know that space is mutable and we know that time is not constant. So everything I and we knew that stuff when this episode was written. So I was kind of like everything that she's saying or in terms of Paul's theories are all backwards. But I was like, whatever. No, yeah, that was her idea. No, no, that was his idea that space is mutable. So he thought time was also mutable, I think. Oh, isn't it? Aren't they saying that time was no more immutable than space? I don't know. Whatever. Anyways, <laughs> there's there's some double, kind of hole. There's there. a hole in the universe. And this, they broke. They broke space. They broke it's space. Broken. And what's really concerning is that it's not just confined to the planetoid. It's happening. Like they explained to her, they're like, "Okay, well, we felt this like many, many light years away." Yeah, like other star systems are 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 experiencing it now. Yeah. So so yeah. So this is when she's like, "Okay, yeah, maybe he, uh, maybe he." had some idea that these experiments were getting dangerous and that he would never do anything like harmful on purpose. But it is possible no. that as he was getting closer and closer to this goal, that he, this that kind of clouded his judgment. So, and then Janice starts talking more personally to Picard, you know, says, this is not how I imagined seeing you when you've got everything you've ever hoped for, captain of a big ship. He, he makes a comment here too. He's like, he kind of says, well, it's never everything that you hope for. Yeah, nothing ever which is. I thought was yeah. nothing ever is, which I think is is interesting because it speaks back to what you're mentioning at the beginning, sort of the metaphor of the figs yeah. and, and in decision making. Even though we see Picard in like the dream job of being a starship captain, even he has maybe some regrets or some things that haven't worked out exactly yeah. the way that he hoped for. Maybe we're seeing some of that here. Maybe we are. But she says this just as Crusher walks into the office. Yeah. And she doesn't look <laughs> pleased. She's not like angry, but she's just like, oh, interesting. Then Janice says that the lab is protected, so they won't be able to send an away team down there. It's got traps, traps and in place. Stuff. So, yeah. But Crusher wants to run some tests on Janice, and Janice uh, gives Picard a little peck on the cheek. 
before she oh. goes. And Picard explains to, uh, I think, to Riker and Data that she's an old friend. An old friend. No kidding. The crush was like, yeah, I could tell. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what? one thing I do like about this is that there are a lot of feelings in this episode, but nobody's feelings get in the way of them, like, doing their job and caring for each other. So, like, Crusher, you can see she's not super happy to see this woman who Picard has feelings for, but she is all business about it. She's like, I think Mannheim is dying. That's why, this is why, though, it's because she really wants to make sure that her husband stays alive. Well, yes, that is a possibility. <laughs> but yeah, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. But uh, so she says the, the neurochemistry has been affected, but she can't explain how or why. It's all very confusing. And then we get a scene where Picard, Riker, and Data are about to enter the turbo lift, and Data tells Picard that the effects are now being felt in the Illicom system, and they discuss this a little more as they, they get into the turbo lift and the doors close and they kind of discuss what, you know, what they need to do. And then the doors open and we see again Picard, Riker and Data who are already in the turbo lift on the outside of the turbo lift. And Data has the same line that the effects are now being felt in the Illicom system. And they notice each other and they're like, oh, look at that. We're doing this funny thing again. But Data doesn't feel disoriented from it. I guess the implication yeah. is Picard and, and Riker do. Yeah, when the doors close, we've now shifted perspective to the three of them that were outside the yeah. turbo lift as if they are the main characters now. Yeah, this is what I was talking about before where I was like, I'm just always interested in it as a storytelling. So I was like, okay, mm -hmm. it kind of makes sense with the other things where they would repeat things and then they would be conscious of it from the beginning of the time it repeated. Yeah, it's weird. It was disorienting to... The viewer yes, as well, because yes. all of a sudden you're switching between the characters mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, that's the duplicate of the characters we're following. But now we're following those that version of them. Yeah. And then Riker says himself, this is where we started. Yeah. If we are us. So that means that he has that memory of having already done that. So we yes. are looking at the same ones that we looked at enter before because he has that memory of entering the turbo lift already. And then Data has a, a great line that just as confusing and disorienting where he's like, oh, we are us and they are also us. We're all, we're all us just at different times. So there are different points on the continuum. He's totally fine with that. Yeah, like, yeah not of course bothered it makes sense. at all. He's not having an existential crisis about it like everybody no. else is. Yeah. So then in the ready room, uh, Riker and Data come in to talk to Picard and they say that the second lab has been completely destroyed. The remaining lab, so the lab where, where Paul and Janice were, has a lot of energy concentrated near it, but they can't tell like where it's being used. And Data thinks that they found a way to harness the energy from the pulsar. And Riker says they need to go down to look at Mannheim's notes because they can't figure out what to do from here. They don't have enough information. They think maybe they'll be able to get past the security since Janice lowered the force field. So they go, it's Riker, Data, and Worf. They go to beam down. And I really liked that effect of like their patterns kind of popping in and out. Yeah, they get all like blurry. And, and sometimes they disappear entirely. Yeah. Yeah, so there's some kind of like defense mechanism against the transporter, I suppose. It yeah, and the, the transporter chief, uh, whose name is Chief Herbert, Chief Herbert, refers to it as some kind of bouncing effect, which I think is kind of cool. So it's like you can't you can't get in. 
the implication is that like they might lose the patterns. Like, yes. They might be killed and dematerialize permanently. So they the two like Data and Riker materialize, and then like a few seconds later, Worf materializes yeah, back on the ship. Back on the ship, and Riker's like. We're back. And Herbert, I thought this was kind of cheeky of him. <laughs> like was. he's not he doesn't look afraid or concerned. He just smiles like smugly and he's like, You're lucky to be back at all. Basically, like, I'm a I'm an awesome transporter chief. Yeah, he just like has this smirk on his face. Yeah. You know what? Maybe he's like, Oh, so you wanted your security guard to do the transporting all the time in the last <laughs> couple episodes, but now she's not around anymore. So yeah, you wanted to relieve me of duty every time, <laughs> didn't you? Uh, good thing I was working today. Yeah. Or you'd be scr- Scrambled all over the place. <laughs> oh, I still miss Tasha. Anyway. I do, yeah. Paul wakes up. He wakes up. He has no recollection of sending the uh, distress signal. He doesn't remember doing that. Janice is like, we're on the Enterprise. They answered your discre- distress call. And he's like, I sent one. They ask if he's fine. And he's like, I'm, I'm not even close. He has this like, great gravelly voice. It's amazing. Yeah. I should put that line in. Yeah. He says, I'm not even close to fine. I am not fine, Janice. I'm not even close to fine. It's like, it was all worth it. And then he says that he's like, that the, the something's changing again. And that he has touched another dimension and that part of him is still there. And he says, my mind is floating between two places. That sounds awful. I wondered, okay, when he starts saying these things. Yeah. I wondered if this isn't like a subtle way of, of kind of touching on a metaphor about the whole episode. Okay. Because when you think about it, like when, when you know, we, we touch on these themes of regret and like other choices that we could have made ah. and how that in a sense, like Picard is also living between two worlds right now because um, someone from his past has showed up and he's thinking about this alternate life that he could have had. And mm-hmm. it doesn't, you know, the episode doesn't touch too much on like a whole other parallel universe or this idea of like other versions of ourselves. And Paul Mannheim kind of mentions that that sort of is a thing, but it's at least I think lightly is trying to put this idea in our head that like maybe while Paul is physically, his brain is in two places, like Picard is kind of emotionally in two different And places. Janice too. They're living in the real world. They have their lives here, but their brains are sometimes in that Somewhere other, else. the other possible reality of, yeah. of them being together. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh, Picard, Data, and Troy enter sickbay, and, and Paul knows who Picard is, and he tries to say to him, and, and I actually kind of, I relate to what he was saying here. He says, I'm having difficulty holding the moment. Um, and as someone who often struggles with concentrating on one thing at a time, mm-hmm. or sometimes like maybe hyper focuses on, on one thing. And it's like, I find that sometimes I'm either not holding moments or over holding moments. Holding it too tight, uh, Yeah. All the time. Yeah. So I was like, I, I understand you, Paul Mannheim. Interesting. Interesting. There's uh, another great line where he says, so Data is like, I'm I'm well versed. I'm fully versed in all of your theories. And Mannheim is like, how's that possible? I'm not even fully versed in all of my theories. I don't know what I was talking about. I know it was right, but I wasn't talking about it. But then he actually says that all of the work that they've been doing has made his previous, let's say, ideas, not theories, obsolete. So Data does understand actually he he figures out that they have in fact harnessed a dynamic energy source so probably that pulsar what Mannheim says is that there was energy from the pulsar and there was also energy inside the planetoid and they used that energy to open up a crack in another dimension and I have to say I actually really like where this where they take Paul in this part of the episode because I hadn't seen this episode for a long time And I was worried 
that he was going to be like, oh, no, we have to go back. We have to open it even further. There's and and he wasn't. He was like, we have to shut it down because he he learns that this is having repercussions thousands of light years away. And he's like, OK, right. we need to do a controlled shutdown of this experiment. I'll tell you exactly how to do it, how to get in there, how to bypass the security system, all of that stuff. Like he he is like, no, no, this thing that I did, I accidentally made a huge dangerous thing. So yeah. I, I like that he's he fully he he's fully responsible. Yeah, we don't know why they wanted to do it to begin with. So <laughs> I don't know how responsible that was. No, no, no. Like, Let's yeah. crack a hole into another universe. <laughs> that for sure. One hundred percent. But the fact that he's like, oh, this is making problems. You know, like, I feel like it's kind of a common trope for like some scientists to be like, I don't care what the problems are. We yeah, must. Yeah, yeah. And there is a little bit of that when he's like, it was worth it. It was worth it. Because he says that to Janice when he wakes up. He's like, oh, it was all worth it. Right. But he's he 100 percent like cooperates. We never really get a sense of knowing. Like, no, I totally like, I totally agree with you about mm-hmm. like, him wanting to shut things down. I just wish they we had a better understanding of why he wanted to do this to begin with. Like, is it just a matter of curiosity? Yeah. Is there is there some kind of like good thing we need from this other dimension? Is this one of those things where we should have been like, hey, Paul, like, is this really a good idea? Do you really want to be doing this? Like, did you ever see the movie? This is going to feel really off topic, but I swear it's not. Uh, did you ever see the movie The Meg? Yes, I love that okay, movie. Awesome. It's amazing. It's great. Uh, For anyone who hasn't seen it, it's a really great movie about uh, some scientists who decide to go down below the Marianas Trench and they find a megalodon shark. And it's great. And it's great. And it's got Jason Statham. It's got Jason Statham. He's so (laughs) awesome. But it it is the sort of thing when he when they're talking about this and he's like, I opened up a crack to another dimension. There was like like there's one part of me that's like, you know, scientists. Scientific exploration for the sake of curiosity is important. We shouldn't stop people from doing that. But the, an, another really powerful part of me was like, maybe there are some things we shouldn't try. <laughs> okay, so let's contrast that to... Uh, we're going on a bit of a tangent, but I think it's okay. Yeah, let's contrast that. that to, say, like Avatar, which is has I its never own saw problems. Yeah, it's definitely got some problematic colonial elements yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. But what I will say is that the... The problem that is like released or the 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 Pandora's box that's opened, which ironically, I think that moon that they're on in that movie is actually called Pandora, is not opened by scientific curiosity. It's opened by like industrial exploitation. Mm. And I and I think that's a better story to tell rather than saying like, oh, our curiosity is going to get us like destroyed right, or killed. Right, right. No, it's like more often it's because, well, what? Most exploration on our own planet and arguably of space, unfortunately, has been done not in the in terms of scientific breakthrough or curiosity, but because of like a resource exploitation. Yeah. Which I think makes more sense. Yeah. But, anyways. but I, I just yeah. And I, I feel like actually that would have been an interesting dimension to this story if what he was Pun looking intended. for. Mm, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> not, not actually intended at all. But thank you. Because, yeah, you said it would have been nice to sort of know like why he was so intent on mm-hmm. opening a crack to another dimension. And yeah, that would have been interesting if it was something like for reason, like, yeah, resource exploitation rather than curiosity. I, I do think though, like I think curiosity is so important, but I also think just opening portals to other dimensions willy nilly is dangerous. I'm not oh, afraid probably. to go on record saying that. 
Yeah, and it seems that that is the case in this episode. Yeah. Paul agrees with them. Yeah. He's like, let's shut this thing down. So he's going to give them all the security codes yeah. that they need to get down safely without bounce beaming and all the other traps that have been set up for yeah. them or whatever. So we go to the observation lounge. They have taken Paul's stuff, his security codes, all that stuff. And Data's like, okay, this should all be possible, but we have to time it precisely with another time distortion. Janice shows up just as they finish and everyone else is is leaving. But as she kind of comes in, there's this uh, Riker. Riker has like this smile on his face. I don't know if you notice in the background. He's kind of like, he's sort of smiling and gets up to go because he's Riker and he's like, ah. <laughs> I didn't notice it this time, but I can picture it perfectly. Oh, yeah. I know the smile. The smile, the Riker smile. So Janice wants to talk to Picard. and there's I, I kind of like this one line where she's like, I knew you wouldn't come to me. And he's like, not not under these circumstances, which is, again, he's like, no, I wasn't going to come and talk to you about our past because I'm a professional, professional and we're yeah. doing work right now. So we're doing work. I think like it's OK. It makes sense for her to go to him, but he wouldn't yeah. go to her, which is totally no. fine. That would be a power imbalance, too. I mean, it's his ship. Yeah. He can go wherever he wants. Yeah. And so he's trying to give her space if she wants it because like she's... She's like surrounded by everything to do with him while he's on the ship. And meanwhile, her husband is dying. Like her husband died. Yeah. So it would have been inappropriate yeah. if 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 he went to her. Yeah. And but it's okay, I think, for her to go to him. And she wants to she she says, like, so why didn't you meet me that last day in Paris? And he starts to say, he starts to tell her the truth. And she's like, No, I want to lie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, don't tell me the truth. Yeah. What what is the truth? What what do we start hearing from him? He says he was afraid. He's afraid. Yeah. Yeah. He was afraid, and so then his lies are like, oh, I got the wrong day, I got the wrong location, I went to the wrong location, blah blah, yeah. all this stuff, and then she says that she waited all day for him. You know, one thing I was thinking, and I know that cell phones didn't really exist when this episode came out. Fully standing someone up, like just not showing up. That's a tough thing to deal with. Yeah, being stood up. And it might be harder to stand people up in the future because you could probably just be like, hey, where's where's Jean-Luc? Just some computer, computer system. Located. I don't know how tracked you are there yeah. or not. But, but I mean, like now, you know, if you if you can't make it somewhere, you I think the polite thing to do is at least text and be like, oh, I'm not going to be able to make it. But, but yeah. no, he just fully didn't show. He flaked out. He totally flaked out. He was a coward. And then she's like, okay, what was the truth? And he says he was afraid. And he was afraid of yeah. seeing her and losing his resolve. He was afraid of staying. He was afraid that whichever choice he made, it was going to be the wrong one. The wrong choice, yeah. I guess the way they have it set up here is that there was a dichotomy that it was either a life in the Federation mm -hmm. or a life in Starfleet or her. Like, I don't know why that had to be, uh, yeah. but it seems that way. Yeah, and then she asks if maybe his greatest fear was that a life with her would have made him ordinary. And he laughs and and basically says that she's she's right. Yeah, he says to her, he de well, he doesn't. He doesn't outwardly say that she's right, but he says you're you're extraordinary. Yeah. Is that what he says? But then he says that she sees him so. He's like, I'm so transparent. Yeah, to am I that transparent? And she's like, Yeah, to me, you are. She hits him. She hits him on the nose. Yeah. That's what it is. He was afraid of having a boring life. But you know, what? it's it's interesting because I feel like if you are considering spending your life with a person, but the thought of spending your life with them makes you think you might be kind of bored or boring, then I would actually wonder if that's the right person for you. So I, I actually wonder if that was a sign that he made the right call, not in standing her up, but that it actually wasn't wasn't meant to be. Yeah, they, they had things that they had that like that they hadn't talked about or worked out, I think, in that case as well. Yeah. Like obviously they didn't talk about 
different life goals or plans. And and so rather than having that conversation, he just like bailed. He bailed. Yeah. Back in sick bay, Troy comes in. Crusher tells her that Paul isn't doing any better, but figures that she's there for a different reason. Mm-hmm. So what is it? Why, why is Troy there? Troy wants to know if Crusher is okay. And Crusher is a little defensive about this. Yeah. Yeah. She says, she says, I can't compete with a ghost from his past. And this is actually an interesting exchange. And I, I, I remembered that line really well. Her saying, I can't repeat. I can't compete with a ghost from his past. But I, I forgot about the next lines, which I think are actually more important. Troy says, she's not a ghost. She's here right now. And Crusher says, she may be here. She may be in the here and now. But it's the ghost he sees. Whoa. Yeah. So Picard Deep. is looking at this. What Crusher can see is that Picard sees Janice not now. He sees the life that he could have had with her. From another time. From another time. Another dimension. Just like when they've been seeing each other in the transporter or in the in the, in the, in turbo, the turbo lift, lift yeah. in different times. He's seeing her from a past. Yeah. Back on the bridge, Data thinks that the next time distortion will occur in the next 28 to 47 minutes. It's quite a range. It's quite a range. Uh, Paul wakes up back in sickbay and wants to speak to Picard alone. And he tells Picard, uh, you remember all those codes I gave you? I don't know if I actually... <laughs> remember all of them now and Picard's like okay I'll just tell everyone to be careful and you're like I guess like okay how can you be careful if it's the wrong code yeah by the way you might you might get killed yeah just so just be careful Paul wants to talk to Picard about Janice and Picard's immediately like shuts that down he's like no no I didn't come here to talk about your wife and he turns to go. And I, I think there's a mix of both personal and professional going on oh, there. Yeah. He's like, I, I don't think he really wants to talk to Paul, obviously, about Janice. And, and ultimately, he doesn't want to get distracted by that. Yeah. Paul stops him and he's like, no, no, no. Like, listen, I just want to tell you, like, please take care of her if he dies. It's a bit of a weird thing to say. It kind of is. Yeah. And because I think that as a grown adult person, she can probably take care of herself. She, yes. And if the implication is like that Picard should marry her i think that's a decision that janice should make on her own you can't just pass someone off no that's not (laughs) how this works very not cool paul says that janice has had a terrible time the last few years and i think that speaks to your previous point about Mm -hmm. about how she's not really involved in what's going on and so that she's probably been quite isolated and you know paul says like she could have left me and i probably wouldn't have even noticed yeah and it is interesting. So Picard says that Paul is underestimating her and says that he also underestimated her all those years ago. But I also think like, and we'll maybe get into this more at the end of the episode, but it does sound like a really boring life for Janice. Because like, is she, is she able to do any of her own work? Does she have any of her own interests? Or does she just sit in this protected room while Paul does his experiments? I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out. Or maybe it's too interesting. It doesn't feel safe or like rooted at any point. And so because yeah. it's, you know, your 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 partner is someone trying to rip a hole in space. Yeah. But what do you get to do? <laughs> I, I don't know. Just be scared all the time and wonder whether or not you're about yeah. to get vaporized. Yeah. You just like sit in a protected room watching futuristic Netflix or whatever. And <laughs> <laughs> it might be really good. I mean, even current Netflix is pretty exciting. Yeah. Maybe that's when she gets to just do that. Picard and Data are walking around in the hallways and Picard tells Data, I want you to be a solo away team. Yes, an away team of one. 
Data immediately thinks, oh, he's like, it's, oh, I understand because I'm a machine and I'm dispensable. And that was like, I was like, oh man, that, that's that, too- that hit me. Yeah, that's pretty like, That's grim. really sad. Yeah. And Picard, Picard reassures him and he says, no, more like indispensable. Yeah. The reason why I want you to go is because you're the best suited for the job, that the time distortions will have less effect on data. He's less likely to become disoriented as we've seen earlier. Yeah. And then they talk about like idioms, like data never understood the the phrase time flies when you're having fun. He understands it now. I don't know why he fully understands it now, but he does. Then Picard is like, well, I want you to make a stitch in time and say, save more than nine. And Data's like, what? And Picard... Yeah, he doesn't know that Yeah, one. <laughs> Picard like tries to explain it. Doesn't, <laughs> the explanation didn't really work. But basically, he needs to fix this hole in the space-time continuum and save the universe. So I guess that's more than nine. <laughs> yeah, there's more than nine people, at least than we know in the universe. Yeah. LaForge is with Chief Herbert in the transporter room, yeah, Le- and they beam Data down. And as soon as Data beams down... There's lasers firing at him again. We just had that happen a few episodes yeah. ago with the mining episode. Where, so Data's cool with da- with dodging lasers. He's got that down. No Can I tell you a really funny thought that I had as I was watching this? Yes. I think <laughs> I think we both had the same oh, thought. So yeah. Because I noticed, I was like, that's not Brent Spiner. That's a stunt double for sure. Because it, it was. Yes. And then my thought, which made no sense at all, was like, that's so weird. Data doesn't need a stunt double. He's an android. And then I was like, oh, wait. He's he's not played by an android. Yeah, he's not really an android. <laughs> Did you have yeah. that same thought? No, oh. it wasn't actually. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's 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 a funny thought. Um, I just noticed like you can totally tell when the stunt double like rolls yes. behind the yes. wall, and then and then, and then Red Spider, Spider comes out with the phaser, <laughs> and you can totally tell those are two yeah, different people. Yeah. But I was like, whatever, we'll roll with it. I've never noticed stunt doubles until this rewatch. I feel. I don't know if it, it had to do with resolution, like camera resolution. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. back then you couldn't see people's faces as clearly yeah. with stunt doubles yeah. and stuff like that. And when, when shows like the original series or TNG get remastered in Blu-ray, I, I think it becomes a lot clearer. Like, oh, this is not yeah. that accurate. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's really funny because on the bridge they can hear the like pew, pew, pew. And Picard's like, what's going on? And Data's explanation is... Dr. Mannheim forgot to mention one of his security precautions. <laughs> yeah, it also seems like a really intense security precaution. Yeah. Like, this is a science lab. I get, like, the, we have something that'll stop you from beaming down, but then we also have these, like, targeting laser sentries, and you're like, okay, calm down now. I feel like the reason they have these safety precautions is that the stuff in the lab is really dangerous. So it's like, we we don't want you to get hurt by touching this dangerous thing, so we'll try to kill you <laughs> if you try you. to get in there. <laughs> yeah. So oh. anyway, he makes it in and he sees this like rotating hole, uh, like a column of prisms that yeah, are all rotating. Yeah. It's a cool effect, it is, actually. It, it is, looks kind of yeah. neat. Yeah. And so he calculates somehow that the next distortion is going to happen in one minute and thirty seconds, and he needs to apply a specific amount of antimatter to, as Picard puts it, plug the hole. Yeah, so basically he grabs onto a jar of antimatter with like this... Like a grabby tool. Like a grabby tool. It's like this thing with like a claw on the end of it. And this is a scene... I remember watching this episode for the first time when I was a kid, and I thought this one scene was so cool that Data got to like pick up antimatter and there was like a hole in time. And I remember this whole scene very clearly watching it, and I was like, oh, this is super neat. I never thought of antimatter as like a thing that you would just have a jar of. Yeah. Um, I. <laughs> it's probably, 
in a magnetically sealed bottle so that it's safe to move around. Because yeah. you can't have any matter touch normal matter because it blows yeah, up exactly. and that's bad. So space, space, it's a space bottle. And and but what Data says is that he's going to need to add it at like precisely the right moment, regardless of any time distortion. So this is part of why it's really complicated because. It has to happen during a time distortion. You have a note here that says that the next thing is ADR. And I wondered about that because I'm like, that sounds out of place, this one audio segment. Did you hear that too? Okay, yeah. He's He tells LaForge that he needs a 27 second countdown, but it was definitely like put in later because it's oh, yeah. a different voice. And then he goes back to his regular voice and he's like, okay, I'm ready to apply the antimatter. Give me the countdown. And so LaForge starts counting down. And then all of a sudden there are three datas the countdown goes echoey. Like there are three countdowns happening at the same time. I guess they needed like an external clock to where he was so he could resynchronize with like whatever the proper flow of time was. I was like, because Data has a clock in his brain. Yeah. So, but I guess they needed someone counting from the Enterprise in case like where he was, time got messed up or whatever. Well, I didn't fully understand why they needed the no. countdown because the countdown also got messed up. Like there were three of them. Yeah. 20, but Data was able to figure out, or he is able to figure out, he's like, okay, which which one of us is real? And th so there are three Datas, each like one behind the other. And then the middle one realizes that he's the right one. Doesn't explain how, but he, he knows that it's him. So when he gets to the hole, they all three of them drop the antimatter. The column of prisms disappears and it's all, all fine. And there's like a glowing red light that kind of fades away yeah. from from the ground like that was the hole in dimensions and now it's been it's been sealed over it's a cool effect of having the three datas kind of like turn into one and all drop the antimatter at the same time and everything's really sparkly and yeah it was a cool effect yeah and i think it's kind of like um a play to the metaphor again right it's like there's three datas there's three possibilities you have to make a decision. And when you make a decision, the whole to other possibilities is closed off. There you go. Right? It's like, and and a decision has been made and maybe some possibilities are, are gone now, but maybe that's better than standing in anticipation of that choice in dread and feeling like you're being torn yeah. between two different worlds constantly. And all the figs fall down and rot. And, or, and the figs fall yeah. down and rot. Yeah. yeah. So Data tells Picard that the whole is... Is not sealed, but he says well patched because he doesn't know if it's going to ever open again or not. Spoilers, we don't find out. <laughs> we never do. He says closed indicates a permanent condition, which I very much disagree with. If someone is like, close the door, I'm not going to like seal it shut so no one can ever open it again. Yeah, we didn't ask is it, or data, is it sealed permanently forever? <laughs> And he would be like, well, permanently indicates a permanent <laughs> yeah. condition. No, we didn't say that. Anyways. We didn't say that. We just asked if it's closed right now. But anyway, in sickbay, uh, Paul is feeling all better. He can feel that the effects have been reversed. And he can't describe what was going on. He's, But he says that there was, there's a different kind of life on the other side. But the, the words he uses are too pale because it was so vivid. And Janice, you can tell, doesn't particularly want to go back to the lab but Paul says they owe it to their friends and it'll be different this time and that's this is when I really started thinking about the Meg and I was like oh man how many how many Megalodons do we have to let loose before we close off the Marianas Trench again like one of my favorite parts of that movie is when Jason Statham has this one line and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with the shark and he's like we're going to kill it with evolution and I was like yeah <laughs> it's like 
that movie is just it's it knew exactly what it wanted to be and it was great it was Everyone so watch good the Meg. watch the Meg it's so good yeah yeah so Janice says well you said my life would never be dull and it it never has been and this is where I I mean maybe Janice and I just have different ideas of what's dull I would find it dull to just go and hang out with someone while they do experiments and I'm not involved in them at all but my life is in danger half the time I guess the the story is trying to imply that like things are going to be better it's happily ever after but in in realistically I don't I don't know but it's it may not be good yeah maybe that tension's there on purpose I'm not sure maybe and Picard says that the Federation will want to help in any way it can he is visibly uncomfortable with with uh, Janice and Paul being like so romantically close or whatever. But, you know, he's still he's still doing his job. He deals with it professionally. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have a nice little send off yeah. moment at the end here. Troy brings Janice to the holodeck. And when they open the holodeck, there's Picard waiting for her at the cafe. They get a, a second a second run at, at saying goodbye properly. Yeah, so he's got a little bucket with champagne and glasses on the table. And he pours her a glass and they cheers and he gives her a, a proper goodbye. And Janice says that she expects him to always come charging to her rescue when she needs it. He says, I'll do my best. Yep, he'll try. <laughs> and, you know, if I if I had dated Picard... In my past, I would expect him to rescue me if I was in trouble. Well, yeah, especially if he has uh, the Enterprise that control. Yeah, the flagship of the Federation. Come on, you can save me. Come rescue me. Only when I need it. Only when you need it. Yeah. And then she tries to leave, but the exit's not there anymore. So she's like, well, so much for my dramatically romantic exit. And then, of course, the exit appears. Yeah, because she says the word exit, I yeah. think, is, is yeah, what yeah, happens. Yeah. So the door appears and then she walks. Picard just points to yeah. it. And she walks out and it, it's, it's a nice moment. It's like he's not trying to like persu- change her no, mind or no. persuade her or say that he wished things had gone differently. But he just w- like that. He hadn't shown up there to try to continue a life with no. her. But just like, I wish I had at least shown up to say goodbye properly. Yeah, I think I think that's totally fair. He recognizes that he just left her hanging and he can't make it better, but he's going to do what he can right now to make it right. Back on the bridge, Picard tells the Forge to set course for Serona 8, that they're going to finally go back to continuing their shore leave that they were trying to have. And then there's a really awesome, the ending is amazing because Riker says he wants to go to this club that he knows that serves these blue concoctions. And Troy says, oh, yeah, it's that place across from the Zanza Men's Dance Palace, which is a great line that Picard and Riker are both like, oh, really interesting. I think Riker's surprised that Troy yeah. knew about the place. He's the like, oh, Zanza okay. Men's Dance Palace. <laughs> but then Picard says that it's the Blue Parrot Cafe. And the Blue Parrot Cafe was the competing bar of uh, Rick's Cafe, which was the main character's bar in Casablanca. And Casablanca is where the line will always have Paris comes from. Oh. So they have that nice little little moment. I didn't know that. And then he says that Troy is buying. I don't know why she has to buy, but I'll, I got, I'm okay with it. It was a nice little dynamic between all of them. You started to see that they, they really are kind of like bonding like a family now at the end of this first season of the show. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. I like it. And then they, uh, and then they, they head go. off at warp speed. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. 
You can follow us on Instagram at firstlinkpod or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com. Let us know what your relationship with regret is like. If you want to, you don't have to because that might be too personal, but you can. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. And you know, if your friend gets stood up at a bar, don't leave them there by themselves. So rude. Ha, ha, ha.